We're in a series that I'm talking about the subject of breakthrough. And breakthrough is another way of saying revival. Another way of saying, God, we need you to revive our spirits, our hearts, our minds. We need you to come upon us in a very powerful way and help to renew that which you have begun inside of us. And I don't know about you, but I'm in the need of revival. And so what I want to do this morning in this illustrated message is help you uh, understand and receive that God is going to do something for you. He's going to do something in you. He's going to do something to you. And he's going to do something through you can somebody say amen now this is not I need help this I need a help from the enthusiastic people in the 9 a.m. gathering because that I want us to show the stoic people or the the not early morning people how we can have a good time in church can somebody say amen so we want you to kind of, because the spirit of the Lord is in this place can somebody say amen the spirit of God is here I've learned over over the years in my life that that most of us like the idea of God changing our circumstances, but we don't very much like the idea of God changing us. Let me say it again. We like the idea of God changing our circumstances, what's happening to us, but we don't much like the idea of God changing us, what's happening through us. Now, I got more to say about that, but some of you are wondering why I'm wearing my pajamas on stage uh, this morning. And so let's, let's talk about that for just a second. Uh, I've been a, a, a student of Taekwondo, of martial arts, for many, many years. In fact, this is my 40th anniversary uh, this year, 2019, is of w- from when I started in the martial arts industry. Um, so when I was eight years old, so now y'all, some of y'all are doing the math. You're just pausing. You're shutting everything off. You're just doing the math. You're adding 45 to carry the one. Okay, yes, I, I'm 48. So... Um, so when I was eight years old, my parents, uh, I, I begged them if I could do karate, and lived in, we, we were born and raised in a town called Oskaloosa, Iowa, and uh, there was no karate studio there, no martial arts studio there, and then one came to town in this small little, small little town and opened up in a storefront, and I saw it there because in those days, kids rode their bikes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes? And we didn't just ride our bikes. We went wherever we wanted to go, all right? And so we were, I was riding around town. I saw that there was one there, and I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to take the lessons, and so I rode my bike a few miles to where my mom worked at Kmart, uh, and, I, and I asked her, can I take, take classes? Can I take lessons? I want to do karate classes. I'm eight years old. And my, my mom says to me, she says, well, if you can pay for it, okay, now I've got an idea, all right? If I can, I don't have any money. I'm eight. Any eight-year-olds in here? Anybody eight? Any, any, any seven? Eight-year-olds? Eight, yes. Okay, okay, so I was your age, eight years old. And so I rode my bike. If you can pay for it, I went back because I remembered they had a help wanted sign in the window. Some of you heard me say this story before, but I went, and I didn't know what to do with help wanted. I had no idea, except I saw on the old school TV programs that when there's a help wanted sign in the window, you take it out of the window, and you take it up to the front counter, and you hand it to them, and then something happens. I guess you get a job. So I grabbed the sign out of the front window. I, now I look back and I mean, that was pretty, anyway, courageous or invasive or whatever. But I took the sign out and I handed it to the, to, the, to the people behind the counter. And they took pity on me. And I don't know if they just made up a job then, but they gave me a job. And the job was to clean the studio three times a week. And so I had to clean. They didn't have a toilet brush. I had to use my hand with a rag. I had to wipe, wipe off all the floors and scrub the floors on hands and knees. They really, it was serious. Uh, they had locker rooms and showers and the vacuum and all that kind of stuff. You, I just did it. So three days a week for the next six or seven years, I did that to be able to pay for my, my karate lessons, my taekwondo lessons. So that's how my, my journey began in that. And, and uh, it's been quite a ride. Over the years, at, at, the age of, at the age of 14, 
um, I was now a black belt in the tournament circuit doing different things, and my, um, my instructor said, I, I think you're ready to own your first school. And it never dawned on me that I'm 14 years old. I thought, you're darn right I'm ready for this. So and nobody, I, I didn't know that you couldn't do it. And so I started my first school in Albia, Iowa, and I, t- I drove there every, I, I didn't, somebody had to drive me there every Tuesday because I couldn't drive yet, and so I taught my own, Taekwondo had about 30, 35 students that would meet in the high school gymnasium that I had to sign a rental agreement to be able to rent, and they actually let me sign that rental agreement with the school district back then. After that, uh, it was about a year and a half later, that school was growing and doing very well. So my instructor had five schools in Southeast Iowa. He said, I was working at Kmart at the time, and he said, he said uh, I want you to quit your job and come to work for me. Yes, sir, I'd love to do that. That'd be a dream. So every night of the week, five nights of the week, I traveled to a different one of his schools, and I was the manager of all of those schools until I graduated high school. When I graduated from high school, uh, which congratulations, John, when I graduated from high school, um, my, uh, my instructor offered me a full-time job. And I turned it down because I wanted to go to college. That's a lie. I turned it down because I wanted to follow my girlfriend who went to college. <laughs> I'm just being serious. So, so, so I went to college, and uh, we opened up uh, a ser- over the course of our lifetimes. Um, you know, we opened up many schools, and and God has blessed tremendously. And um, I, when I was in in college, um, and I got saved on August 28, 1989. Uh, when I got saved, I, shortly after that, the Lord, um, I felt like I was supposed to give up my old life. Remember, you're supposed to, uh, the old is gone, the new has come, Second Corinthians 5.17. And so I thought I had to give up Taekwondo, so I gave it up. I walked away from it. Now, that was the year after that I, became, I was number two in the nation in men's heavyweight fighting competition. I traveled 50 of the 52 weekends of the year competing in tournaments around the nation. I was, it was just, a, it was my life, it was my world. But then I came to know Jesus, and my life didn't gradually change. My life changed. And so I gave that up, and I thought I had to give up. It was a sacrifice unto the Lord to give this up. And a few months later, after I'd given it up, the Lord spoke to me and said, you really think that's your talent? That's a talent that I've given to you. So if you'll use it for my glory, if you use it for my benefit, uh, I'll bless it. I was okay, Lord. So I decided that it was at that time that I decided to go on this journey to start a different martial arts organization. In those years, many, many years ago, there was no Christian martial arts organization nationally. So I had a vision that said, God, I want to start a Christian martial arts organization that is sold out for you, that teaches the finest, highest quality martial arts lessons at an affordable price because it's just skyrocketing and now it's just the elite families can do this. We want to offer this for everybody, but we're going to do it unashamedly through Christian instructors, um, and, uh, and that's just, that, so we started it. We just didn't know we couldn't. We started it, and uh, my wife and I opened up 10 different schools through the years. In Albia, I told you about that one, Springfield, Missouri, Neosho, Missouri, Bolivar, Missouri, Joplin, Missouri, Grinnell, Iowa, Susanville, California, Lathrop, California. I had one in Western, a couple in Western Ranch, late, you know, and then, of course, Manteca's the location that we have. In addition to that, my juniors over the last 40 years, 30 years, have opened up schools in these, these states. They're still there. Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Washington, and California. God has blessed this organization, and it's become something I just would have never dreamed. Well, it's not true. I dreamed of it, but I, but I'm, I'm, I would have never dreamed it really come true. Y'all know what I'm talking about, because nobody told us that we couldn't. Um, Thousands of students are training currently at CBBS schools nationwide. 
And um, thousands have been trained, and I've been the privilege of promoting so many people to black belt over the years, and it's just been to see these life dreams going up. I've had people in crisis in their life that don't, don't know God, but because we make them memorize scripture in order to get your new belts. I mean, you're memorizing about 20 Bible verses in your tenure, and you, they're memorized, and you've got to be able to recite them at the end. And when you're testing for your black belt, you've got to just spit out 11 verses the way it is. And it's exciting. I remember walking one guy when I, had, when I lived in a, a town in Missouri uh, who didn't, he was going through a divorce, and it was a terrible situation. They didn't know God. I remember walking him through that, and, and I said, what, 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 is, what are you thinking about? Because he paused. He said, all I can think about are the verses that you had us memorize. Um, and, and I said, well, those verses are from the Bible. He said, yeah, I, I know, but, but it, they really mean something, don't they? And yes, they mean something, because when you hide the word of God in your heart, it will never return void. And so we're excited about what God has done. Um, if you have been to a Christian Black Belt Academy class, or if your child or a grandchild has been to a CBBA class, I would like you to stand. Would you do that, please? I would just like to see about how many people in the crowd have been connected with Christian Black Belt Academy just from our church. Absolutely. Sure. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Yes, absolutely. I had the parents stand because... Because you're taking them back and forth and you're going to all the events. By far my greatest accomplishment at CBBA, and this will be the last thing I'll say, this is the bow in that the students all say at the beginning of class and this is the bow out they say at the end of class and we pray at the classes and we have the memorized Bible verses and the instructors all have to be born again, Christ followers, actively attending a church. It's just kind of exciting, but by far my greatest accomplishment are my four daughters and Trinity, uh, our executive pastor is a fourth degree black belt, and Kyra is a third degree black belt, and Tasha is a fourth degree black belt, soon to be testing for her fifth degree black belt later on this year, and Kyler is a third degree black belt, testing for a fourth degree black belt later on this year by greatest accomplishment. I remember them being in classes with me, crying and begging, not, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. I'm like, you don't have a choice. <laughs> it's, it's who we are, and, and they've said many, many times, because you didn't let me quit, I learned not to I learned not to quit. And so there's maybe some parenting uh, advice in that. In CBBA, and here's the message today, in Christian Black Belt Academy, we teach evidence of power. We're one of the only organizations nationally that starts students from the white belt level, from the very beginning, breaking boards. And people ask me that in the industry. People, other, other uh, school owners and so forth, ask, why do you do that? It's very, it's very dangerous to have students break boards from the beginning because of injury and liability and so forth. I said, well, we do that because we want to make sure that they understand that there's power that they possess and there's evidence to the power when they break boards. See, when they learn that there's power and they can break a board, um, then they learn that they should use that power for good and not for evil. They should use the techniques that we teach them on uh, an enemy that would be trying to bring them harm rather than on their brothers and sisters. Amen. You know, maybe the church could take a little advice from that. Maybe we, not that this church has this issue, but the, the capital C church could take some advice from that, that God gives us power not to use and wield against one another with our own preferences and agendas, but he gives us power so that we can fight the enemy, the adversary of our souls. Can somebody say amen? Yes. So I just want to show you a couple things. These are boards. Uh, I got them myself from Home Depot. Okay, they're real. You can, I, you can call me a liar if you want to, but they're... Uh, you, I'll, 
kick you in the face. Anyway, the, the, these, are just, these, are, these are just real boards. And so I want to give you a few demonstrations and not an ego thing. And that's why we have the kids stay in here today so you can enjoy this. We're going to be breaking these boards, breaking that stack of boards, and breaking that stack of bricks during the message today. So uh, don't get too close. And at the end of the message, when we're all done and the service is over, those kids that are in here uh, that would like, they may come get one of the broken pieces of bricks because they will all be broken, or they can come get one of the broken pieces of boards and you can take those home to remember what we learned today about breakthrough. One of the things about evidence of power in the boards, boards take 150 pounds per square inch to break a board, and it's power simplified is speed times weight. You see, um, you can have a whole lot of strength and go through a board. So I'm going to go through the board with a lot of, a lot a lot of strength. So you can go through the board, which is impressive you can, uh, as you go through the board. But if you, if you have the proper technique, you can slowly bring your arm around and go through the board. Or if you have really good technique, you can take your hand and just turn it over and break the board. Because what I'm teaching in classes is not how to fight one enemy but how to fight many opponents. Because no, nobody in their right mind is going to come one-on-one -on -one against you. Because everybody's got 45 seconds of crazy in them, right? Yes? But, but what happens, and it's the same spiritually, is Satan, the enemy of our souls, doesn't just come at us with one thing. He comes at us with a multiplicity of things, with many things, and they overlap, and it happens all at once. And so you're going through financial issues, and you're going through relationship issues, and you're going through job issues, and you're going through uh, all kinds of health issues, and, and mental issues, and social issues, and friend issues. You're going through all the, and they happen all at once. We tend to call that the perfect storm when they overlap and the sweet spot of all these overlaps come together. Some of y'all are in the perfect storm today and it took everything you had just to come to church. It was probably the beans and rice that you were promised after the gathering is over your here. And, and I'm really, really glad that you chose, you chose to come today. We, have, we, have, we come to church to learn technique. We read our Bible to learn proper technique. You see, we can rebuke the enemy, but we need technique because he's going to come at us in a multiplicity of ways. If we're going to experience breakthrough, we can't just have 45 seconds of crazy. 45 seconds of crazy in the faith is when people never go to church, never read their Bible, and at the very end of their rope, they finally cry out to God and say, oh God, I need your help. If you exist, would you just do something for me? And God will come through because he's no respecter of persons, but that is not the proper technique. You're drained of everything you have at that point, and you've sacrificed more than God ever wanted you to sacrifice because he wants you to have the proper technique spiritually. And so we study our Bibles, and we come to church, and we sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron, and we hold each other to a higher level of accountability, or else we're going to get severely hurt, severely frustrated, and severely Defeated. So today we're going to take a look at a couple areas through the scripture, through the Bible, of how we can have correct technique to experience our breakthrough. I want you to raise your hand if you want or need God to do something, anything in your life. 
if you need God or want God to do something or anything in your life. One more time, do you need God or want God? Why would you be here if your hand isn't up right now? We, we want God and need God to do something in our lives. And this guy, you can put your hand down in our text today in John chapter five is where we're gonna be hanging out. Man, he had a need. He had a real need. Now the scriptures are gonna be on the screen for you, but I'd like you to follow along in your own Bible if you have it with you today. Verse number one. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. So Jesus went to the city. He went to the city for a reason. There was a celebration that was going on and he needed to be, he wanted to be a part of that celebration. Doesn't say which feast, but he went up, he went up for this celebration. Now, there, in, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is Arama in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So Jesus is in Jerusalem for a feast, but there's the meeting within the meeting. He's on his way and he arrives at Jerusalem, but there's some other purpose that he's discovering that he's there for. Doesn't that happen to you all the time? You're going to the grocery store to get some eggs and to get some milk. But when you get to the grocery store, you run into somebody who you haven't seen in a while and or has a need or somebody you've been meaning to shoot a, a text message off to or give them a holler and you bump into them and you enter into a conversation and you might not have wanted to enter into the conversation. You may have wanted to put a ski mask on and just kind of sneak in and sneak out, but you're there and it's a divine opportunity, a divine encounter that God has orchestrated for you. That's what's going on here with with Jesus, verse number three, here. Everybody say here. Here, here right here. I, here, are you ready? Here, a great number of disabled people, you sigh. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the gossips, the addicted, the disobedient, the cynical. I could keep going all day long until I get a label that works for you, yes? All of us fit into this category of being disabled before our great and mighty God. And then verse number five, I want you to notice I'm skipping verse number four because in this chapter, there is no verse number four. Yeah, I'll tell you that in just a minute. We'll explain that to you in just a few seconds. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years, he couldn't walk. 38 years, he was restricted in his body. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I think Jesus was looking around this pool. Everybody say pool. Everybody wanted to get in the pool. Everybody wanted to get in the pool at a particular time. But, but Jesus looked around this, this pool at the sheep gate and, and he looks for the worst of the worst. The one that has uh, the most difficulty, the biggest challenge, the biggest, uh, the biggest problem, and he finds the guy and he walks straight up to that person. He goes straight up to the most difficult situation. Sometimes I think when we come to church, uh, this is what I think, sometimes I think when we come to church, we think that God can only deal with the presentable parts of our lives. Um, yeah, you know, I just, I, I need to fight the good fight. I just need more of you, God. 
we think that God only wants to deal with the presentable parts of our lives, but breakthrough happens when you're willing to expose that place in your life, when you're willing to go there, get into the darkness of your soul, let that come out. And man, I've had the privilege of being with people as they are honest and transparent and truthful, and they're dealing with their deep sadness or discouragement or anger or their deep disappointment or this secret sin that's been holding them back for so long. And if you're that person, everybody is that person. There was this pool uh, that they called Bethesda where a lot of disabled people would lay. Take a moment, just look around. Just look to the person to your left, in front of you, behind you. Just kind of look around. And I want to tell you something about that person that you just looked at, something very important. Uh, They have a condition. Because everybody, everybody has a condition. You can't always see someone's condition, can you? It helps when you can see their condition. But you can't always see their condition. You can't see someone's emotional state because they can compensate for that. I'm great. It's just great. You can't always see someone's spiritual state because they can cover that up with some pretty good religious language. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And you don't know what's going on inside of them because they're hiding it behind this religiosity. But we all have conditions, don't we? Everybody say yes. And Jesus asked this guy, and he could be asking you and me, his question is very simple. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Not do you want to feel better, but do you want to get well? Because there's a difference between feeling better and getting well. We can come to church and we can feel better, but that doesn't mean that we done did got well. Yes? We can come to church and find comfort, but we can leave through those doors unchanged. And that's where we start getting confused, thinking, I guess it wasn't real. No, you answered the right question with the wrong answer. See, if he would have said, the the question was, do you want to get well? And if he would have said, yeah, I want to feel better. And I think that's what we do sometimes in church. And that's a temporary fix to a long-lasting problem. And so that's what this pool represented. This pool represented the place where you could be comfortable around it. Why? Because everybody's in the same miserable condition around this pool as you are. They have similar disabilities, thereby causing you to feel more normal in your dysfunction. They're not pulling you up. They're keeping you there. Let me be really honest with you. This is why I am drawn to our next generation ministries. That's why I'm drawn to kids and I'm drawn to teenagers. And, and you might, I'm not, I, 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 love, I love serving our older folks and the middle-aged folks. I, I do, I do. But, but there's something about kids and teens, and I think you'll understand this. They haven't learned yet that some things never change. They haven't bought into the lie that some things never change. They haven't embraced the deception from the enemy that says some things never change change. They typically aren't jaded and they're not callous. They're not scarred yet. I've got a stack of boards over here and um, there there are five of them on there. And so um, follow along with me. One of the boards reminds me of a boy named Tanner. 
Tanner is a boy that's been coming to our epic summer camp in our, in our campground that we do up, uh, up in Portola. And, and Tanner's mom uh, is addicted to drugs. She was a terrible mom. She, wasn't, she, she was not very good to Tanner. But Tanner, um, so he went to live with his grandma and grandpa for many, many years. But Tanner, in all the years I've known him, never once gave up on praying for his mom. So he prayed and prayed and prayed for his mom. And he believed, I mean, he believed that she was going to get well. He believed that she was going to be, we'll use our language, delivered from this addiction that she has and get some sense to her again that she loves her child. He, he wasn't going to accept the, the, the message that says uh, some things never change. Well, I'm pleased to tell you that this year when we take our kids to Epic Summer Camp, our kids and teens up there, uh, this boy who's now in the teen camp instead of the kids camp, he's been with us for all these years, for six years all the way through, been praying. This is the first summer we're going to be there. And not only is Tanner going to be there, but Tanner's mom is, is one of our cooks and she's going to be helping because she got born again in church. She got delivered from her drugs, delivered from the alcohol, and they've been reunited. And God is good. God is good. God is good. Because I believe there's a praying son who believed that, that, listen, some things do change. God is in control. Nothing is impossible for our great and mighty God. Can somebody say amen? amen? Board number two represents a little girl. Maybe you've heard of her before. Maybe I've mentioned her in, this ch in, in church gatherings before. I don't remember for sure, but represents a little girl that um, her name was Chilia, and she was in my children's church way back in the day in the 90s when I had a, a, was a children's pastor in Bolivar, Missouri. And little Chilia would, would come to church, and, and we, we had Sunday morning, and we had Sunday night, and we had Wednesday night kids ministries, and each one of those, when we had the rallies, uh, and then when there was revival season, it was every night of the week every night of the week we had kids church and start at seven and about 11 sometimes midnight sometimes one because you linger longer and the spirit just gets stronger you've heard those phrases before and so it was powerful times of revival but somebody had to keep the kids and so we uh we kept the grocery store uh in business by purchasing hot dogs and nachos for the children because they had to eat. And so we would have Chilia come. I mean, all of the kids would come to the altar and we would pray for our kids and we would believe and be 100, 150 kids in the kids' church and we had altar calls every Sunday. Chilia would come and she would stand on this side. Every single Sunday she'd come to the altar and she would lift her little hands, seven years old, and she would pray and we would go around and lay hands on the kids and we'd pray and we'd ask them, what is it you want to pray for? Chilia was like a scratch record. Uh, she had the same request every time. She'd pray for her daddy. She'd pray for her daddy. Her daddy didn't know Jesus. She wanted her daddy to come to know Jesus. And so we would agree with Chilia and pray that her daddy would come to know Jesus every single time, every single time. Uh, don't ever give up on your children's requests. Pray for them every single time. And one day I got a telephone call. And it was a bad call. I got a telephone call that Chilia's family's house was on fire. I thought, oh, no. I had heard, though, the family got out. They were just fine. They were standing at the curb and uh, watching their house burn. It, was, it burned to the ground. And so we went and we were there with them and tried to minister to them during this difficult time. In those days, there were no cell phones. So there was no pictures on your cell phones. The pictures of your family burned in the house fire. They, they, other than if grandma and grandpa had some pictures, they didn't have any pictures of their kids when they were younger. And it was a really sad and disturbing time for this family. So one of my assistant, assistant pastors in my children's ministries department, um, Katie, took Chilia shopping. 
And because all of her dresses, back back in those days, kids, everybody wore dressed up, suits and everything. The children's dressed suits and, and, and kid, girls wore dresses. We were from the Midwest. It's just the way it was. And so uh, Katie took her out. Uh, my children's pastor assistant uh, took her out to uh, buy her a dress, beautiful blue dress. That was her favorite color. Got her a beautiful blue dress. And she was staying with an aunt and uncle across the street from her grandma and grandpa's house because their house had burned down. And so she got that blue dress on, and she went across the street and showed her grandma and grandpa, and she twirled around, and the dress posted, and you know how girls love to do that. She had her little sneakers on instead of, instead of the, you know, the, the pumps or whatever she's going to wear with them on Sunday, but she just wanted to show her grandma the dress. And that twirled around, and grandma said, ood and odd, and said, Joe, you look so beautiful. And Joe said, grandma, I've got to go home because mom's waiting for me. It's about dinner time, which was about 6 o'clock. And so Joe went back across the street, realized when she got halfway across the street that her shoe was untied. She knelt down to tie her shoe, and a 16-year-old driver that wasn't driving recklessly, he couldn't see because the sun was glaring straight in, ran straight into Chilia and sent her, sent her flying. And the seven-year-old girl is now in a coma. And I get the call and uh, spent the next three days in the hospital with the family, sleeping on the floor as they... We're with Chilia, and uh, church gathered, church rallied. I mean, really rallied. There was no less than 80 people from our church in the waiting room that was a, maybe this size, I don't know. It's hard to remember. Just trying to show support and praying, crying with the family. All of a sudden, I find myself day two in this waiting room, and there was nobody in it except for me and one guy. That was it. I, I thought, this is weird. Where'd everybody go? And then the Spirit of the Lord prompted me and said, you need to go talk to that man. So I got up and kind of slapped myself a little bit. And I went over and sat next to him, and I said, I think you're Chilia's dad, aren't you? He said, yes, I am. And I said, I'm, I'm Troy. I'm her pastor. And uh, can I tell you a story? And he said, yeah. Um, I said, you know, Chilia would come to the altar, and we do these times of prayer, and we want kids to pray, and we want them to know that there's power in prayer. And so she'd come to the altar, and she would pray. And every, every time we gave a chance for somebody to come for prayer, she would come. And she only had one thing she was praying for. Do you, you know what that was? And he's crying. What was that? It was you. It was you. She's praying for her daddy. She's praying that you would come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that your life would change, that you'd quit this path that you're on, that you'd become the man God wants you to become. This is what your baby, who's lying in that bed with no brain activity, was praying for you. And now you're in here alone with me, and this room has never been empty since we've been here, has it? No. Would you like to pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, 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 yes. So we prayed and he received Jesus. The next morning, I was in the room when they made the difficult decision to um, turn off the, the life support and say goodbye. Thirteen people have sight or have a new lung um, because she donated her organs. It's hardest, one of the hardest funerals to do. 
Chilia didn't believe the lie that people don't change. And I'm, hallelujah. Because her dad came to know Jesus and it was lasting. And I bet you have a story too. I bet you have a story also. I mean, everybody's got a story. Some things never change, and some of you have not bought into that lie, even though you're older, because we need to have the faith of a child. Jesus says, have childlike faith, and kids believe. I mean, my grandson believes he can fly. <laughs> That's why you're there to catch him, yes? Kids have faith. I mean, that's how we're to come to God. And so I, I would suggest that, you know, there's, there's faith to believe that, you know, there's, there, that there is healing. I, I'm not going to believe that some things never change. There's faith to believe that there is restoration. I'm not going to believe that some things never change. There's faith to believe that there is deliverance. I'm not going to believe that some things never change. Because if you're going to have a breakthrough in your life, the only way you're going to have a breakthrough is that you embrace the truth. And the truth of God's word is all things are possible. I don't know about you, but I want to have the faith of a child. I want to have the faith that says, I believe. I believe no matter what. I believe that God can do everything that he says he's going to do. But what happens, what happens is we get jaded and we succumb. We succumb to what? We succumb to our conditions. And we start to believe the lie that some things never change. And so around this pool, there was all these people with all of these conditions, all of these issues in their lives, and they're gathered together. And here's where verse 4 comes in. I told you verse number 4 is not in the Bible. It's not in the original manuscript of the Bible. So let me kind of teach you for a second. The verse 4 is actually not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, but it was added sometime later. Verse 4 was then added, but the writers of the NIV, the one that I have, didn't put it in the text. They actually put it as a footnote at the bottom with an, with an, with an asterisk that says this wasn't in the original manuscripts. So let's take a look on the screen of what it says in the footnotes of verse number 4. Remember, it just goes from verse 3 to verse 5, but this was inserted later. Let's see what it says. It says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the pool. Stir the waters, whoosh, 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 okay? The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disability they had, would be cured of whatever condition they had. Keep in mind, this wasn't included in the earliest of manuscripts, but it was added in a little bit later. This was the pattern, I suggest to you, that we sink into, which is why I don't think it's included in the original manuscripts. This is the pattern that you and I buy into. We have a condition, we have an issue, and we perceive it to be some sort of a race or a competition or a contest. Who's gonna get in the pool first? Because whoever gets in the pool first is gonna find victory. Whoever gets in the pool first is gonna find relief. Whoever gets in the pool first is gonna find deliverance and healing. And this is the definition of religion. And when you come to New Life Church, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are not entering into a religion. You are not entering into a cult or a sect. You are entering into a relationship with an authentic, powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-supreme, mighty God. Hallelujah. 
And that's why Jesus walks up to the person who would have been the last in line, 38 years as an invalid. He would have been the last in line, and he's like, dude, you're first. I came to announce that the more desperate your situation is, the more challenged that you might feel, the greater the opportunity for a miracle in your life. So if you need something from God, you don't have to perform, you don't have to race, you don't have to beg, you don't have to manipulate anymore. It's time for your breakthrough. Not because you deserve it, but because Jesus chose you. Jesus chose you. But in verse number four, they're waiting for the angel they're waiting for God to come down. Hmm. I think that's what we do. I'm waiting, God, for you to come down. I'm waiting, God, for you. I need you to give me joy. Come down. I need you to give me hope. Come down. I need you to give me peace. I need you to give me help. Would you just come down? Would you, would you meet me here? God, I remember when my children were little, and I love reminiscing about when they were little um, because I'm glad they're not anymore, okay? Um, I remember when, I, I actually loved every stage of parenting, um, but I remember when Kyler, my youngest, um, was little, and uh, there's six years difference between Kyler, my youngest, and Trinity, my oldest. So we had four girls in six years, and, um, and so Kyler was begging for, I don't even remember what she was begging for, but she was, be it's not beyond you, right? She was begging for something, and, uh, <laughs> and she was asking and asking and asking and asking. And Trinity, my oldest uh, back there, she, um, who has been in the family for six years longer, picked up on the fact that this wasn't going well for Kyler. And so I remember her talking to Kyler. I think it was in the back seat of our Yukon, you know, our, our, our truck. And she's talking to her and whispering. But I can hear everything they're saying. Um, uh, and, and she's trying to coach her, which I thought was adorable. Trying to coach her that that's not how you get what you want from dad. If you want something from dad, this is how. Now, some of y'all are going to want to know the answer to this question. That's none of your business. This is how. <laughs> This is how there's a technique to getting what you want from dad. And one of the ways that you're sure not to get what you want from dad is by begging dad, is by pestering dad. I want to talk to those of you for just a few moments that have been begging God or manipulating God. You're like, I don't manipulate. Well, you're making a deal with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Really? That puts you on the same plane as God. You can't manipulate God or performing for God. God, I will, I will give it all to you, except for just a little bit that I want to use for this, this area over here. And you perform for God. In order to get your breakthrough, you're trying these techniques. Let me just take you aside for just a few seconds into the corner of the room and have a conversation with you. That's not how you get what you want from dad. That's not how you get what you want from your heavenly father. Your breakthrough isn't going to come through your coercion or manipulation or your performance or even your begging because you don't have to beg him for what he already bought for you. Can somebody say amen? You don't have to beg him for what he already died to give to you. But this man at the pool, he had a lot of reasons, really good reasons, just like some of us. He had a lot of really good reasons why 
Well, he couldn't get well. And in verse number seven, it's, he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember, the question was, do you want to get well? And here's his answer to the question. By the way, that is a yes or a no question. We call that a closed-ended question, right? It's a yes or a no. He turns it into an open-ended question, and he gives Jesus a dissertation. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life before that you just ask a simple question to and they give you a dissertation. This is what this guy, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. <laughs> I think I just could picture Jesus and I don't know, but if I was Jesus, I'd be like, dude, that's not the question I asked you. Can you stick, stick to the question that I asked you? And so in the presence of our unlimited God, this man is stuck, and he's stuck in his explanation of why he can't experience breakthrough. I've got a good reason why I can't experience breakthrough. And I need you to know that everything this guy said was true. Everything this guy said was a fact, but faith has the ability to override facts. Can somebody say amen? And, and that's what this man didn't know. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus was, was asking him this question do you want to get well? And, and he started explaining to Jesus, just so you know, Jesus, this is how things work around here. <laughs> I need to get into the pool, but I don't have anybody. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody loves me. Nobody's cared for me. I don't have anybody. I didn't have anybody show me. I didn't have anybody teach me. I didn't have anybody hold me. I didn't have anybody protect me. I appreciate the conversation, Jesus. Thanks for stopping by and John with me and all, but you don't know my situation. I have nobody to help me into the pool. It kind of reminds me of one chapter earlier in the journey of Jesus in John chapter four. And we don't have time for me to kind of take you there and read it, but let me just summarize. I preached a message on this uh, a few months back called, Are You Thirsty? But it reminds me, reminds me of oh, just one chapter earlier in John chapter 4. Jesus is, is walking, and he's in that area of Samaria. It's a desert area, and he's thirsty. He's very thirsty. And so he wants a drink, and he comes across this well, and there's a woman, a Samaritan woman, who's getting water out of the well, and Jesus says, hey, can I have a drink? And, and she says, well, sir, you have no bucket. In other words, you don't got a cup you can put it in. And Jesus' response to her, I'm kind of summarizing, but Jesus' response to her, he's like, you don't need a bucket when you're the well. And Jesus tells her, he's like, I'm the living water. And if you receive what I have for you, it's not gonna be about what people can do for you anymore. You won't need a bucket because what's in me is gonna get inside of you and it's gonna produce something. What's it gonna produce? It's gonna produce rivers of living water that are gonna flow out of you, out of the core of your being. So, so on that note, Jesus walks up in this chapter to this disabled man of 38 years and he starts telling Jesus about how he can't get into the water. And Jesus is like, dude, don't you get it? Don't you understand? I saw that you can't get into the water. That's why the water came to you. That's why the water is standing before you. And this is the essence of salvation. This is the essence of your relationship with Almighty God. You cannot do anything to earn God's grace. You can't do anything to earn the favor of Almighty God. That's why God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I couldn't get to the water. 
So the water came to me. Can someone say amen? Amen. amen. So here's, here's what I want you to get from this story today. Breakthrough begins where my excuses end. This man had all kinds of excuses. All kind, I mean, I don't have any, anybody. I don't know enough. I've been this way a long time. Some of you could say the exact same things. I don't have anybody. I don't know enough. I've been this way a long time. I couldn't possibly change now. But Jesus steps right over his excuses, and he gives this man a command. This isn't a suggestion. Jesus is commanding this guy. You see, while we're in verse 4, Waiting for God to come down, Jesus has a command that's going to bring this man and going to bring you, going to bring me, real change, lasting change, sustainable change, deep change, evident change, and breakthrough into our lives. So after Jesus heard all this man's reasons, heard all this man's excuses, um, read the doctor's note that he handed him, so I can't possibly do it. The excuse is listed in verse number seven. Again, let's look at it again. Sir, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down. They won't help me in. Every time I try to get in, they keep me out. You notice his mentality revolves around other people. They keep blocking my breakthrough. And after hearing everything the man said, Jesus gives him this command in verse number eight. Jesus says, get up. Get up. Get up. Oh, get this. While we're waiting for God to come down, Jesus is telling us uh, to, to, to get up. I don't know if you caught that, Todd, but I'm going to draw this again because the artist in me is coming out. While we're waiting for God to come down, Jesus is telling us to Get up. See, breakthrough happens, and it's not totally dependent upon God coming down. And it's not totally dependent upon us and our own will getting up. But breakthrough happens when those two collide together. You ever heard the phrase, X marks the spot? Yeah, the spot for your, the spot for your breakthrough is the spot where where you get up and God comes down and it meets in a beautiful collision and you experience your breakthrough. Isn't that a good word? And I hope you receive that today. I hope you receive that into your heart because, because breakthrough happens when you don't blame anybody else. Breakthrough happens when you're not waiting for your situation. Oh, I guess it'll just gonna take some time. I'll just be patient. Maybe, maybe do what Jesus said and get up. Quit wallowing in the pig pen any longer than you need to. Get up. Get, get up. Um, you're not waiting for anybody, but here's the prayer. Real simple prayer, three words. Are you ready? Three-word prayer. I want you to pray to God, change me. Not God, change my stuff. Not God, get me out of this thing. God, change me. God, change me. This is the point that breakthrough begins. Do the work in me, mighty God. For, for a long time, I've been on this subject, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but for a long time, I've been on this subject about numbers in the Bible mean something. 
And uh, I've gone, told you the number five is the number for grace. Number three is the number of the Trinity. It's the number of perfection, right? The number two is the number of man. It's always short from perfection. Number seven is, is God's number. It's the number of completion. Number six is one before God's number. Number six is the number of man. Number six is the number of man. Six is me. One, two, three, four, five, six. About, I'm going to say, um, I don't know, 200 pounds maybe of concrete uh, in these six concrete blocks. And so the number six is the number of me. And so I want to do this illustration for nothing about me, just the talent that God's given me for his glory. And uh, 2004 did a little thing at our last church, um, 2004, the end of 2004, where I, uh, for about four months, I was the Guinness Book of World Record holder in concrete breaking. I broke 100 concrete blocks in 23.6 seconds um, and uh, went just, just went, because remember, everybody's got 45 seconds of crazy, in them. <laughs> and, and that was when I was much younger. But I want to do this demonstration today, not as something easy, but as something to represent the hardest breakthrough, and the hardest breakthrough is not your addiction. The hardest breakthrough is not your marriage struggle. The hardest breakthrough is not your past. The hardest breakthrough is you. It's you. And if you want to experience breakthrough in your life, you gotta break through me. God, change me. God, change me. That's the prayer. God, change me. That's the prayer. If I want my situation to change, if I want my condition to change, then God has to change me. I have to be willing to meet God at X marks the spot and get up. I've got, the guy was crippled. Jesus is giving him an impossible command. But he had to try to get up. And I don't know when he got strength back in his legs, but I guarantee you it wasn't before he began to get up. So when you begin to get up, God meets you in the impossible situations with a possible miracle that only he can grant to each one of us. So if this is your prayer, then the challenge today is really simple. Before we go about the festivities, the challenge for each one of us is very simple. I've got an issue, I've got a condition, I raised my hand earlier, I, you might have felt a little coerced, but it's still the truth. You got something, you need God to give you a breakthrough in your life. And I don't know, you, know, you can compare yourself to your neighbor and say, but it's not as bad as them. I'll just put it back on the back burner and not worry about it. I'm telling you, God wants to change you. And you're like, I want him to change my condition. But God wants to change you. And if he changes you, your conditions are gonna melt away. You're gonna be able to rise up. You see, getting up wasn't about healing, 
getting up was about faith and it changed this man on the inside. And when he got changed on the inside, the outside had to come in alignment with what God did on the inside. And when God does something on the inside of you, the outside will come in alignment by faith. We declare that and we believe that to be true. So here's the challenge. I've asked the worship team to come and they're gonna, they're gonna begin to sing. And when they do, I want you to get up, not yet, but if you want a breakthrough in your life, I want you to get up out of your seat and make the trip to the front, stand up here somewhere and pray the simple prayer. It'll take you all of 30 seconds, but the simple prayer, I wanna put it up on the screen, it's God change me. You're like, well, can I do that from here? Can I do that in my car on the way home? Sure you can, but I'm challenging you to do the same thing, the same command that God gave to this man who was an invalid for 38 years, because some of y'all been an invalid for 38 years. Some of you have been stuck in this same pattern and you're hopeless and you feel helpless and you're like, well, some things never change. Thank God there's a Chilia that didn't believe that. Thank God there's a Tanner that didn't believe that. And I don't want you to be that person stuck in that either. We're believing that God does change things, that God does work through us. And so the prayer today is God change me. But the way I want you to pray it as they begin to sing is to get up Make your way to this altar. Lift your hands up before our great and mighty God and pray that prayer. God, change me, not my circumstances. I trust you for that, but I'm asking you to change me in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now it's up to you. Will you get up? Will you come? And will you pray? Hallelujah. Jesus, we choose to get up. It's time for us to live a new life. Help us to walk in your resurrection power this week. We believe for a breakthrough. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? Uh, I, I was thinking this is kind of a BYOB party because uh, I, I know some of y'all got, some of y'all went somewhere you shouldn't have gone. It's a BY, because, because uh, it's, a, uh, it's a bring your own breakthrough. Because it's, it's, God's already given you breakthrough. He's already done everything he needs to do to give you what you need. Now it's time for us to meet. And you did that this morning. So get ready. Get ready. Now don't, don't you be afraid. Get ready for the enemy to attack. Ah, greater is he who is in you. Ah, it's only him. Ah, it's okay. Because uh, what's on the inside is much more powerful than what's on the outside. And so, so your breakthrough takes place when X marks the spot. Man, I'm so proud of you. I'm so honored to be your pastor. I'm so honored to be a part of this church. Let me pray with you. God, thank you for this service. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for the food we're about to partake in and all the hands that worked diligently and tirelessly to prepare it. Bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Give us strength. Help us, Lord God, as we strive to serve you with all our hearts, our minds, our souls, our strength. We give you praise and we give you glory. Give us safety today as we're walking and jogging and running and riding on the 5K. And Lord, we bless New Dawn Orphanage for all the work that they're doing to help this next generation. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. Y'all are dismissed. Amen.